quite accepted uh, in our day and age, and it's, uh, it's, it's sad to me. And so, let's just pray. Father, we thank you, God, for the opportunity of coming together in your name, Lord Jesus, and Father, that we can do this in a fun, God, in a creative manner, God, that honors you, and Lord, so we just thank you for speaking through your servant. God, give me, Father, the capacity and the ability to speak everything that I want to share in the time limit that I have. Father, in a way, God, that brings instruction, encouragement, and edification to your body. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Friends, we're on a sermon series called Man That's Whack. This is part two. What we're doing is we're debunking false theology. So uh, last week, Pastor Joy, uh, she debunked the hyper grace. uh, And we are on this journey seeking biblical truth and uh, over misconceptions. So I don't know if you've quite caught along or not. But this whole sermon series kind of has a mad scientist kind of theme to it, uh, to the intro video, to our PowerPoint, because anytime I think of like a mad scientist, they kind of conjure up some of these crazy whack ideas or these weird schemes or, or come up with these uh, inventions that are trying to take over the world. And so I just think it's kind of whack. So Pastor Joy explained last week what man that whack, what that means, it's, it's kind of uh, what, what it has to do with meaning is that, you know, it's not truthful, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's not right, and so it's just a fun way of us doing that. So, friends, even so, we as the church have conjured up some pretty whack beliefs that need to be addressed. So last week, Pastor Joy, she talked about our first mis- misconception, which has to do with hyper grace. Today, misconception number two is this, women are not supposed to be pastors, Go ahead and change it to the next title screen, and go ahead and say it with me. Man, that's whack. Okay? And, we're, and this is the thing. Okay, I'm going to go through, we're going to go through some biblical text so that people, and, and I wanted to do this in a manner that, uh, that, it, that is very educational and also uh, uh, practical, knowing that we're not just coming up with our own thoughts or, or interpreting, interpreting text in our own, in our own fashion, but that we're doing it the way that a scholar would do it. Look at your neighbor and say, scholar. All right. Okay. This belief system is based off of two scriptures that Paul the Apostle wrote. The first one's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34. The second one is in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. And we will get to those momentarily. Okay. And both of these are the two scriptures that, that churches use to say that women should be silent in church or they should not have any place of authority. Okay, Jesus told the religious leaders of his day that were in error, he told them this. He told them uh, that they were in error and did not know the scriptures nor the power of God when, when there was biblical misconceptions. And isn't it funny that when, when Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 39, isn't it funny that it is concerning the role of both men and women? And I'm not going to get into that scripture just for time, but this is what Jesus said. There was a... There, the, The Pharisees were coming to him, talking about men and women, and this is what Jesus told them. He said, you are in error because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God. Now notice, he was not saying this to a bunch of people who did not know the Scriptures. No, he was saying this to a bunch of religious Pharisees and Sadducees who have studied the Scripture for 40 plus years. So he's not saying this to a bunch of people who were uneducated. No, he was saying this to people who were educated, but they did not understand the full interpretation of the text. Okay? And even to this day, we have people that are very educated, that study text, but yet they, miscon- they, miss- they have misconceptions or misunderstanding of text. 
Friends, in biblical hermeneutics, say hermeneutics. In biblical hermeneutics, hermeneutics is the interpretation of text. Okay, in order for us to have proper biblical hermeneutics, we must never take a single text and solely base it on itself. Let me say this again. Say biblical hermeneutics. Can I take you guys to school today? Is that okay? I'm going to go deep and I need you to hold on, okay, because I got to do this quickly. Okay, biblical hermeneutics, the word hermeneutics, what that is, is that is an interpretation of text. So a person that is a scholar or that interprets text, has, they study hermeneutics. So in order for us to have proper hermeneutics, first friends, we must not take a single text and solely base it on itself. This is how false beliefs and, and false doctrines are conjured up in the first place. Okay, in order to have uh, full uh, biblical hermeneutics in the way that God intended, we must not base it solely on its own text. We must base it on the, uh, the text that support uh, the text that it's around, and then we must also base it on the entirety of the Word of God, okay? The text must have a support of other texts, and it must support, it must be supported by the message of the whole Bible and the character of God in its entirety. Does that make sense? Do you get that? I know I talked, to, I talked real fast with that, but that has to be clearly understood. If there's ever a scripture that you don't understand or that does not make sense, then friends, in order, in order for you to fully understand what, what's trying to be said about that text, you must take that specific text, you must agree it with the, with the surrounding text, and you must agree it around the, the entirety of the Bible. Okay? Friends, if we don't do this, then we will create false theology. For example, in the New Testament, there are two New Testament scriptures about slavery. The first one is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 6, and the second one is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 through 2 and 24. Let's read uh, Ephesians chapter 6 together. This is what it says. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not, to win their fa- uh, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as a slave of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. So the, so the first text says, slaves obey your masters. Let's read a second text. I think it's very crucial that we parallel two texts that are, we're going to be talking about today with two other texts that are in the New Testament that can be taken outside to build false theology. Okay, the second text is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. And guess what? It says the exact same thing. It says, slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it. Not only when... Uh, their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not with, uh, for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So, okay, we have two texts in the New Testament that say, slaves, obey your masters. Let me ask you a question, okay? Does God agree with slavery? Does he agree with slavery? How do, how do we know this? We know this because let's, what did I say? You have to take two texts and it has to what? It has to be in support with what? The entirety of the word of God. So let's take these two texts and for a lack of time we're not going to get into it. But what was the whole book of Exodus dealing with? The whole book of Exodus was dealing with God miraculously rescuing people out of what? Slavery. Okay? What is the whole book of Philemon addressing it's addressing a runaway slave and when he's when he's addressing the slave owner he says for he says to the slave owner he says that that you receive back oniferous he said as a fa- as a fellow brother in christ 
So there's two other scriptures that are what? They're not supporting slavery, but they're actually opposing slavery. So if you were to just take those two, two texts and you could build a theology that what? That, oh, that slavery is okay because Paul addressed and said, slaves obey your masters. And guess what? Do you know for that, for that, uh, for that centuries that slave owners absolutely did that? They justified slavery because of two New Testament scriptures. Is slavery wrong? It absolutely is. But there's two te- New Testament scriptures that support it. We've got to understand the entirety of the text. Okay? Now, friends, there are times when, the, when we have scriptures okay, that are universally true, meaning that they're going to, no matter what the time frame is, they are always going to be true at all the time. That there's no changing that, especially when it has to do with sexual immorality, perversion, okay, uh, idolatry, keeping God first, all of these, these type of things. But then there's also text in New Testament when Paul is specifically addressing certain issues that have to do with the culture of the time. Does that make sense? So we would conclude these two New Testament texts are cultural issues. Okay? Now in our day and age, we understand that God as an entirety, He does not want slavery. Okay? He created all men to be equal. Okay? And there are men and women that fought for, uh, for, and gave their very lives for this to happen. Because we understand that when God created them, He didn't make one color or creed or nationality greater than the other. But yet we have people that have justified slavery because then they've used God's word to do that. People do that all the time. They take the word of God, they find one or two scriptures, they build a theology on it, and then friends, and, uh, and, and, and it's all whack. Say, man, that's whack. Okay, as a studier or a theologian, okay, we would interpret this text in the context of its culture in which it was written. Okay, bringing instruction to the slaves of that time who were found in Christ. Okay. I say all this to bring the point that, friend, we cannot base a belief system on two scriptures. Correct? We have to consider the entirety of the message of the Bible. Okay, so now, let, now that I just gave just a little, little introduction and just an example, let's get to our text, the text that we're going to get into. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 34, because what are we talking about? We're talking about a whole belief system and a theology that says that women cannot be empowered to be in ministry. Correct? And I might be a little bit loud when I'm preaching this because I'm, I'm very excited. Because again, this is something that, that, that I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about seeing no matter how old, how young, what, what color creed you are, what, uh, um, what gender you are. I'm, I, am, I am so fired up to see people walking in their full God potential in their lives. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34. Here, we're going to read this. This is what it says. It says, women should... Remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. Say the law. Okay, we're going to get back to that in a minute. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Okay, pause there. Okay, say this with me. Say interruption. interruption. Okay, now I have a question for you. Now, if we were in the context of vision ministries... And there, was a, and there was a person that while we're trying to teach, that was continually raising their hands to ask questions in this setting. Okay, I would say, friend, this isn't the setting for that. If you would like that, let's go on Wednesday night. Why? Because in the setting of this teaching, it is a monologue. Meaning, I do all the talking, you do all the listening. 
Now, if there was a person that was interrupting while we were preaching or while we were sharing or whatever you want to call it, we would have to bring instructions about that issue. Friends, understand, in, in the body of Christ, there are lots of times when we have to bring instruction, and we do that constantly. Okay? Now, if somebody was to, was to be interrupting while I'm trying to preach, that would be, okay, that would, first off, it would be uh, rude to do that. Secondly, it would get everybody's attention off what's being said. So, in the context, now, you could just say the very first, the very first verse, and that's where it's based off. Women should remain silent in church, they are now to speak, they must be in submission, as the law says, pause. And then that's where people build this theology. Women are allowed to preach, they're not allowed to speak, they're not allowed to teach. Okay? But the, doesn't it say at the end of that scripture, as the law says? Now let me ask you, where in the Torah, the Torah is the whole uh, Old, Old Testament. We're in the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Where in all of that is there a law that says women should be silent? Absolutely nowhere. Why? Because as Paul is saying, he is talking about a Jewish law. He's not talking about God's law. Are you feeling the Holy Spirit as I'm saying this? He's telling them to be silent as the what? The Jewish law and culture uh, is talking about. Okay? And, it says, and, it, and then it goes on, and he's bringing further instruction. If they want to inquire about something. So what is he saying? He's saying that there was obviously interruptions that were happening during his service. And, and that women were wanting to be instructed. And so he said, why don't you be silent and save that for when you're at home? Okay? Let me continue on here. Uh, okay? So looking at the text, okay, and say interruption. Okay? I interpret this text as interruption. Other people interpret the text as women are not allowed to speak. Now, we're going to debunk that belief because there's multiple scriptures that have women speaking in church, okay? What did I say? I said, if you base a belief or you base a theology on one text, what is that? Okay, that's false hermeneutics. We had to base it on the entirety of the scripture, on the text of the scripture and the entirety of the Bible, okay? So let's just, let's just skip up a few scriptures to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, and let's... let's Let's move up to verse 22 and 23. Okay, this is what he's talking. Okay, now understand this. All of Corinthians is, it, God has given instruction. Actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if you look at, uh, scholars have labeled this, uh, this whole chapter as orderly worship or instructions for worship. Okay, uh, so, he, so he's talking about bringing order to what? Settings where men and women are meeting together. And this is what he says. Okay, it says, tongues then are sign. Not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for the unbelievers or for believers. So then, if the whole church, say whole church, comes together and what? Everyone is speaking in tongues and inquires or unbelievers come in. It, uh, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Did it just say that when men are, prof when men are speaking in tongues? No, it says everyone. Paul's including the whole church. Didn't he not say whole church? Yes, he absolutely did. Okay. Again, okay, and nowhere in God's law does it talk about women should be uh, silent, okay? This is a Jewish law, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, okay? I'm going to say this, okay, this is, okay, so women are supposed to be silent in church, but then how come in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, it says, but every woman who prays or what? Now, have you ever known anyone to prophesy in silence? How could that edify and build up the church if you're prophesying in silence? Does this say women there? 
Okay, now I'm not going to get into the rest of the scripture due to, due to time because uh, I, we could debunk the rest of, 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 of uh, how this uh, text can also be misinterpreted about women wearing, you know, uh, we're covering their heads and men aren't supposed to and, and all this other stuff, okay? But it says, but every woman who prays or prophesies, correct? Prophesies is what? Speaking out, declaring? What good would that do if you're prophesying by yourself? No, God has given the gift of prophecy for what? The edification and the building of the church. So that gift, when it's in operation, it's in operation when you are what? Gathered together as body of believers. But here, uh, with, the whole, with the whole head covering thing, let me just throw this one scripture in there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Here, we're going to jump up three scriptures. It says, uh, on head covering on worship. I put that on there because that's what he's doing. He's bringing what? Instruction on what? Cultural context. And this is what he says, I praise you for remembering me and everything that you hold to the, what? Traditions I just passed on to you. Covering your head is a traditional thing that Jewish people do. It's not cultural. It's not, it's in our context of culture, okay, it does not apply. So, but I'm not going to get into that because we've got to continue on this. I only have like 20 more minutes. <laughs> to prophesy is to speak out. Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 says this. I love this. Okay? It says this. Okay, and, and this is Peter speaking, and he's what? He's quoting Joel chapter 2, so actually it says this twice in the Bible. He says, in the last days God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and your what? Daughters will prophesy, your young men will see, vi- will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both what? Men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Now, notice he didn't say only men are allowed to prophesy. They can only prophesy in church. Women have to be silent. No, he pours out his spirit on all flesh, on men and women. And I love what it says before men and women. It's what? Sons and daughters. Come on. I love that. Acts chapter 21, verse 8 through 9, talks about Philip's four daughters and that they what? Who prophesied. Philip was an evangelist. He was one of the seven. He had four daughters, and these four daughters were considered prophetess. Luke chapter 2, verse 38, 36 to 38. Here we go. Okay? This is Jesus was a baby. Say, Jesus was a baby. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of uh, Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. There we go. We just learned this whole woman's life story. Okay? She never left the temple. Say, never left the temple. So if you're to try to argue with me to say that this, that, uh, that this happened in another place, like this was her home or this was out in the streets, no, the scripture clearly says she never left the temple. What is the temple? The church. Look at your neighbor say, the temple, the temple is, the church. is the church. Okay. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, so if she never left the temple and she came up to them, if you go to a few, a few scriptures ahead, you realize that it was, it was both Mary and Joseph who were going to the temple to do what? The ceremonial eight-day circumcision in the temple. Coming up to them that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about uh, the child and all who were looking forward to the redemption of, of Jerusalem. What is she doing? Speaking in church. Are you getting this, friends? Not only is she speaking, she's prophesying. She's prophesying in the temple of the Lord. Okay? And this is the thing, friends. In the book of Acts, God filled both men and women, Acts chapter 2, with the Holy Spirit, as He does to this very day. 
Okay? Not to be silent, but to what? To be empowered to preach the gospel. Friends, if it's wrong for women to speak in church, then why does God fill them with the Holy Spirit? Are you getting this, friends? Are you understanding this? You may know this already, you may not, but I guarantee you, you're going to come across somebody else who doesn't. And they're going to argue with you about how a woman shouldn't be in ministry. And so you've got to be instructed and understand that when you understand the full text of the full entirety of the Bible and the message that God has in its entirety, that we cannot base a belief system off of just one or two scriptures. This is why this belief system is false, that women cannot speak. Paul and... Paul's instruction is not a blanket prohibition. He was bringing correction and instruction to the church at Corinth, okay, that had inter- that had, were having interruptions during excited women who were uneducated because they were actually able to learn the Word of God. Because in that culture, women were not allowed to be educated. So guess what? Jesus Christ tore the veil. Men and women are now equal. And so they're in church with their, with their husbands and they're excited. They're learning for the first time. Gosh darn it. So of course they're interrupting. Of course they're, they're, they're causing disorder and service. Are you getting this? Second text. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. So, okay, so now pa- now pause this, okay, before we get to that text. So now that we've just studied that text and we've studied other texts that have to do with women speaking, women prophesying, would you conclude that that scripture, in its, uh, uh, by its textual background, okay, is uh, capable of building a theology that women should not, be, should not speak in church? Absolutely not. Why? Because when you look at other texts that can, that, that, that are with that text, okay, it just does not make any, it does not make any sense. Okay? Are you getting this? Okay. This is the second scripture that people use when they build a theology that women shouldn't be in ministry, or a woman should be a pastor. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. It says, A woman should learn in quietness and full of submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. How does this text agree with other New Testament texts? Friends, there are numerous other texts in the New Testament that that hold women in authority. So, here, let's let's just bring about just a few scriptures where a woman was in authority or a woman was actually teaching a man. Okay, we have in, in Romans chapter 16 and verse 1, 1 through 2, there is a woman named Phoebe, and she's referred to as a deacon. Okay? In the Greek, that is uh, dekonin, which is also translated servant. And this is what it says. It says, I commend you, our sister Phoebe, as a deacon of the church in this place. And then he's going on and he's saying, will you receive her? Okay? That's the same, that same, and that's, and and most people will argue and say, that word deacon is the word servant. She really wasn't a deacon of the church. These are, okay, now these are, now these are, these are the, these are the back, you know, people that believe this, this is, this is their uh, argument. Well, that word deacon means servant. Doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that she was the deacon of the church. She was a servant of the church. 
then why is that the same Greek word that's used to describe Stephen and Philip? Okay? So if you want to understand, if you want to do, if you want to do a Greek text study, then let's do a Greek text study. And know that it wasn't, just, it wasn't a single word that was used just for one person. That's the same word deacon that he used for other people that were deacons. Okay? Then we have in Romans chapter 16 and verse 7, we have Junia, who's the, who is uh, among the apostles. Okay? Uh, it says, uh, greet these two individuals, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, who are outstanding among the apostles. It didn't say outstanding among, among the servants. It didn't say outstanding among the church. It said outstanding among the apostles, which was what? That means it's putting them in the same context as what? Other apostles. Correct? If you're a, if you're a race car driver, you're, you're going to what? Measure that race car driver with what? Other race car drivers. If you're a football player, you're going to measure your football player's success with what? Basketball players? No, with other football players. Okay? So this person is being raised at the same measure as other apostles. Okay? And then we have Priscilla and Aquila in Acts chapter 18 and verse 24 and 26. Okay? And this is what it says. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, okay, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man and a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, in the church, when who? Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home, and they did what? Explained to him the way of God more adequately. So we have a man and a woman that's bringing instruction to another apostle. How dare that happen? Because a woman is not allowed to teach a man. <laughs> Most scholars believe the reason that, uh, that Priscilla's name is in front of Aquila's because Priscilla had the stronger teaching gift and it was actually Priscilla that was the one that was teaching Apollos. That's why her name is per first. And in many contexts, you'll see where Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila. And then there's a few, there's Aquila and Priscilla. Most scholars, say scholars, mean they what? They, they study the Bible, believe her name was placed first because she had the stronger teaching gift. Okay? Let's go back to the text. Okay? 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. Let's just go back to that for a minute. And what does it say? Okay? It says uh, that women are not to uh, learn in... Uh, uh, verse 12. I just want to do verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be silent. Okay. We're going to pause there for a minute here, okay? To have authority over. I, didn't ha I don't have this up on the screen, and I wish I did. I'm sorry I don't, okay? The Greek word for this is onthentian. It's the only time, okay, th that it is used in the New Testament text. Normally, the Greek word used for authority, okay, is exousia. So anytime you see in the New Testament when they use the word authority, this Greek word that they use all the time is exousia. But there's only one time in the whole New Testament that this word used for authority, which is authentian, is used, and it's in this text. Okay, scholars, uh, scholars have, have concluded, and it, wait, I'll, give you the, I'll give you the definition of what that means. Okay, authentian means specifically to have authority over. Okay, it means to dominate. It means to usurp. And it means to take control. That's why 
Okay, if you go to, if you read the King James Version or, or uh, New King James, it says, I do not permit a woman to do what? Usurp authority. There's a, there's a big difference between having authority and usurping authority. Say usurping authority. Usurping authority is when you're not the person in authority and you're taking authority. Okay, now scholars believe that this Greek word, okay, now this is, now this is more than just usurping authority. Okay, scholars believe that this word, authentian, has a forceful and extremely negative connotation. It implies a little bit more specific than taking authority. Actually, in ancient Greek literature, it is associated with violence and even in some cases, murder. So this is, this is a forceful, uh, a, a very obtrusive usurping of authority. So Paul is not saying, I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man. That's why there were uh, you know, women that were, that were amongst the apostles, women that were called deacons, all this other stuff. But he's saying in this context, he's teaching this to, to Timothy, obviously bringing what? instruction to some sort of cultural context of his time. I do not permit women to forcefully usurp authority. And friends, Paul's decree was not just about gender usurping authority, uh, but it was in fact him instructing over, uh, him bringing instruction about the very people that were doing it. And I'm not going to get into uh, uh, what people believe of that time and, 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 and the, 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 the cultural context of, of some of the women that were being ministered to because he was over Ephesus and Ephesus was a... Was, was a, was a uh, uh, a city that had lots of sexual stuff, and I'm not going to get into all that, okay? But this is what I'm going to say. He was bringing strong words to bring correction. We even see him telling other people to be silent in Titus chapter 1 and verse 10 and 11. So he's saying basically what? Silence these women who are trying to usurp authority. And then he's, and he's giving that what? He's giving that instruction to, to Timothy. Then he's talking to Titus and he's telling what? He's telling them to do what? Silence these people that are teaching false doctrines. Titus chapter 1, verse 10 through 11. It says, For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. He's specifically addressing a specific group. And he said, They must be what? Silenced. Look at your neighbor and say, Shut your mouth. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Because they are what? Disturbing whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And for that sake of dishonest gain. So what is he doing in there? He's telling a whole people group that were men to what? Shut their mouths in church. Is, not, is that not what he's saying? That is exactly what he's saying. He's telling these men to shut their mouths in church. Are you getting this, friends? You see, friends, Christ liberates women from the curse of subjection that they have in result from the fall. Women are not sex objects. They are not ignorant inferiors, nor anyone's property. They are, they are daughters of the king, and they are called to learn at the feet of Jesus. Friends, we see all too often in, in uh, uh, numerous texts of the Old Testament, and you can go ahead and throw that up there, where women were women of authority and women that had authority. We see Miriam. She was a prophetess in Exodus 15.20. We have Deborah the judge in Judges chapter 5. We have Hilda, who was a prophet in, in uh, 1 Kings 22, who was actually the one that was bringing instruction to King Josiah. We have Esther, the queen. She has her own book. We have women in the Old Testament who were what? Of authority. If you're of authority, 
Okay, I don't know about you, but Deborah actually led men into battle. So when we look at this one scripture, and then we look at the woman roles in, of the entirety of scripture, does that scripture, one scripture, conclude, okay, what God's outlook is on women? Absolutely not. Because what? We have to study the scripture in the context of what it was, which we even went to the Greek and realized that that word was usurp, which was to take authority over. And then when we realize that when it has to do with authority, that God gave women authority all through the Old Testament and through the New Testament. So then what does that scripture uh, text conclude? It concludes that, that actually Paul was bringing instruction to Timothy about a specific situation. And this is the thing. This is what I said. You see, friends, Christ liberates women from the curse of subjection that was the result of the fall. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they, say they, may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over the wild animals and over all of the creatures and move along the grounds. So what? So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them both what? Male and female. He created them. Next verse. God blessed them, and He gave instruction. Just a man? He gave instruction to what? Man and women. This is what He said. God blessed them, say them, and said to, say them, who was what? Adam and Eve, right? Who's God talking to? Adam and Eve. He told them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. What is this? Rule over the fish and the sea, and the birds of the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Who did he give instructions to rule over? Adam. No. Eve. No. Both of them. He told both of them. He gave them both authority to rule and subdue. Say both authority. So God's plan, when he created, and he said everything was good, he created for man and woman to do what? To rule together. Say rule together. Come on, Bishop, it's good. But then something happens in, Exodus, or in uh, Genesis chapter 3. We have that cunning serpent, old Slewfoot, with his good cunning ways. And we have a tree that's the knowledge of the good and evil, which Pastor Joyce says was a chocolate tree. And, and we have both men and women fall into sin, and then we have what's, what comes upon them that's the curse. Say the curse. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. This is part of the curse. Okay, you could go up and you could read some of the other uh, contexts. I don't have time for it. I just want to read this one verse. It says, to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Say, curse. curse. Your desire will be for your husband and he will do what? Rule over you. So a man ruling over a woman is part of what? The curse. Are you getting this? <laughs> Why is it that we as men are still trying to keep women under the curse? Friends, if God, did not, if God did not set the natural order of things and want women to be over men, then why did He create mothers? Because a mother has to do what? Instruct their children. 
And in the Old Testament, they were more blessed if they had boys. So what? A woman is what? Naturally has authority over what? Men. And if God did not want women to be in authority, then why are some of our best teachers right now women? Why are there professors that are women? Okay, if God did not expect this, then get, let me tell you this. If we actually, if we actually believe this absurdity, then friends, then we would now allow, which has happened, which is so, so sad, then we couldn't have a woman boss, we couldn't have a woman teacher. I mean, the, I mean, the, the thought process of this whole belief system is, is just totally ludicrous. Isn't it? It's absurdity. That's why we say, man ass whack. Say, say it with me. Man ass whack. Come on, you can, we ain't even going to get into that because women can be whatever God's called them to be. And I believe that. There's people that, that are arguing that. It drives me nuts. I need to be slapped. Yes, I said that on the mic and it will be going on the internet. <laughs> and let me just say this, friends. Okay, so they're under the curse. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause that just for a minute. We're going to pause the scripture. Okay. That part of the curse was men ruling over women. And let me, I'm going to just go and I'm going to jump to this and then I'm going to go back to finishing off this. Let me say this. Friends, there are even some, there are, there are some work that not even, a, that a man is not qualified for, only a woman is qualified for. For instance, the whole story of Jim, uh, of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Okay, if you know any about, if you know about that story, back in 1956, Jim, uh, Jim and five of his, uh, uh, four of his other companions, they went to the tribe, to a tribe of the one, Wadondi tribe down in eastern Ecuador, and they paid uh, for that preaching the gospel with their lives. All five of them died. But then later on, we have Elizabeth Elliot who comes into the tribe. She comes amongst them, and what? Wins the whole tribe to Christ. They all become saved. They all give their hearts to Christ. Okay? The man couldn't do it. But for some reason, when the, when the women came in with the gospel, the men didn't feel threatened, and they were able to receive it. Okay? Ministry in, Islam, in, in Islamic countries. Let me say, friends, there are some Islamic countries that do not even allow a woman to speak to another man. So in order for you to reach them, who do you have to send? Women. If a, if a man was to go to try to reach Islamics, okay, in some countries, it is forbidden for them to speak to another man. So how can you preach the gospel and reach out to them if you can't even talk to them? That is, a, that is something that I would say that men are unqualified for. There's a, there's a ministry here in our city, it's called Covered Ministry. And let me just say this, it's a ministry to the strip clubs, and there's not a single man that's qualified for this type of ministry. I say all this to say this, friends, we believe that every person, young and old, male and female, is empowered to carry the gospel and is capable of fulfilling this ministry to the highest platform. I'm going to say that one more time. We believe in this place that every person, young and old, male and female, is empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry the gospel and is capable of fulfilling this ministry in the highest platform. Scripturally, we see male and female apostles and prophets. We see it. But before we get to that, i got, I got two scriptures I want to share, and then I'm going to end it on Ephesians chapter 2. Go Go with me, it'll be up on the screen. I got two scriptures I want to share. I want to share Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. What did we say? We said that what? Because of the curse, that what? Women were under men. They will rule over you. And then what? Christ liberates, sets all the captives free. 
So he sets the captives free. And then in Christ, okay, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, meaning it doesn't matter where you came from. There is neither slave nor free, nor male and female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 11 and, and 12. I love this. It says, Nevertheless in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Come on. Okay, scripturally we see both males and females, apostles and prophets, in which the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, it says this, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. What's he talking about building? The church. So if God is building the church with apostles and with prophets, then friends, who are we to say that women cannot be in charge of ministry when all through the scripture we see women as prophets, we see women as apostles, and these are the ones that build the, these are the ones that the church is built on the foundations of. With Jesus Christ as their chief cornerstone. Verse 19, I, I didn't put verse 19, but it brings some cultural, uh, cultural, or it brings contextual context to what he's talking about. He's basically saying that, you know, this is what builds the church. And this is what we believe, friends. We believe that, friends, that Christ has paid the ransom for his sons and his daughters to be in right relationship with him. So what happens when you have people that are set free from the curse? Then what? They become one in Christ, which what? Enables and equips both men and women to do the ministry. So I would say to you today, friends, the misconception that women are not called to ministry, man, that's whack. That's whack. And let me tell you this. You're, you either maybe that was maybe that's something that you were taught, maybe that's something that you're gonna come across that somebody's gonna tell you. But friends, when you scripturally look at it, it, it is it's whack. It's a false theology. Say false theology. false theology. Stand your feet with me, if you will. I didn't even say this, but this is the absolute truth. From the beginning, Satan has been at war with women. He has. From the beginning, he's been at war with them. Understand, there is an order. Okay, God, God brings order and he brings authority. In the context of marriage, okay, the, a man is considered a, a covering, all these different things. We're not going to get into all that. I want to say this. As a woman, women, have been assaulted for eons. 
Women have been used as sex objects. They've been used for pleasure. The pornographic and sexual industry is in the billions and billions of dollars. Because as men, we've said, the only thing that you're worth to me is sexual pleasure. Forgive us. It's sad to me when there is a preacher who would have a daughter and he would tell her, daughter, you can be anything in the world. You can be a doctor, a teacher, a lawyer. But you cannot be a pastor. How dare us. Or when you have a woman, Billy Graham's daughter, who's anointed with power, and she's preaching large crusades. People are believing that she is, is the carrier of Billy Graham's mantle. And yet in a conference back in, in 2000, when she was brought up as the guest speaker, there was lines of men that turned their back to her because they, they, they would say, I cannot be taught by a woman. How dare us? How dare us? Can we repent as the church? Can we repent? I need you to join with me in this gift of repentance to the Lord because we've messed up. In doing so, by saying women cannot be all that they can be, friends, we're cutting the army of the Lord in half. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we repent. Father, we've received a lot of things that were totally inappropriate. And we've deemed them as okay because of misconceptions of Scripture. Forgive us, Lord. God, we just repent. Father, we, we, God, we shared Scriptures on slavery. God, forgive us. God, we repent. As your church... God, for using Scripture for our own selfish benefits. Forgive us. God, we repent as your church. God, for holding down women and saying they can only do this far. They can only go this far. Lord, forgive us. God, we repent in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we just we want to empower every single person to be all that they're called to be. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that your word says in the last days you will pour out your Spirit on your sons and on your daughters. To do what? So that we can what? Be empowered to preach the gospel. So that we can be men and women who share the goodness of what you've done all across the world. And God, we ask right now in the name of Jesus that every woman in this house would be empowered to do everything that she sets her heart and her mind to in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that she would not sell herself short, God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that she would not try to find herself value in a, in a relationship. God, I thank you that she would not try to find her value, oh God, in her sexual orientation orientation, or by the way that she looks, or God, or by the way that socially we have taught the way that she's supposed to look. Father, have mercy on us. God, we repent right now, Father, as a body of believers, and we ask, oh God, Lord Jesus, God, would you forgive us of this horrendous 
a, a thing that we've done in our time, oh God. We thank you, oh God, Lord Jesus, that you're going to pour out mercy and grace on your church, oh God. And that, Father, we're going to see lives change on a greater capacity than ever before, oh God, as wickedness is increasing. God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're pouring out your spirit in greater measures in the name of Jesus. And God, we're believing you for great and powerful things in Jesus' mighty name. And God, I pray that we would have hearts and minds to listen. God, to be teachable. God, to walk in humility. God, that's the key. That God, that we would be teachable. God, that we would walk in humility. God, that we would treat people with grace and with respect just as Jesus did. Oh God, we thank you, oh God, that we would be men and women who would learn at your feet. Oh God, that we would sit at your feet. God, and learn. Oh God, and be taught. Oh God, and be trained and be equipped and be sent, God. We just believe this by faith in Jesus' mighty name. And God, I just pray your blessing on every person in this house. Oh God, would you right now, Father, would you strengthen every marriage, would you strengthen every relationship in Jesus' mighty name. God, we speak freedom right now, God, over those that are struggling with bondage right now. Freedom in the name of Jesus. God, we speak freedom, God, over those that have bought into the lie. Oh God, that they can't do this and they can't do that. Oh God, that God, they bought into their limitations and they can only go this far. Father, we break that in the name of Jesus. God, give us a hunger for you. Give us a thirst for you, God. Let us be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And we'll be filled, oh God. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love and your grace towards us. Lord, we just want more of you in our lives. Father, we want to represent you in such an excellent way. And God, we say, have your way in us. Would you just say that with me? Say, God, have your way in my life. Have your way in my life, God. Have your way. Lord Jesus, we say we love you. We love you. We love you. We thank you, God. We thank you that you accept us as sons and daughters. God, that you don't look at us, God, with our past sin and blemishes and faults and failures and shortcomings. But God, you looked at you look at us as being washed by the blood of Jesus. We thank you that we can come to your bold, your throne room with boldness, not because of our own arrogance or pride, but because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, and we just say we love you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Wonderful, friends. God bless you. Thank you so very much for coming this morning. If you would like for us to join with you in prayer about anything, we would love to do that. If you stick around, we'll have some of our leaders uh, pray with you. If not, friends, thank you for joining us this morning. Make sure that you greet Pastor Joy in the back if you're a first-time guest.